It is a major privilege for me to get to be here uh, tonight with y'all, and it is so crazy how many of you uh, I know, and a little intimidating how many of you know me from like when I was really, really little. Uh, and it is, uh, it's crazy tonight because it kind of feels in some ways like, like I'm coming home, uh, number one, because I'm sleeping at my mama's house tonight, uh, and number two, because I know so many of you, but, but number three, because I was thinking today on the way down here, uh, one of the very first times that I was ever asked, I started out in ministry doing worship, one of the very first times that I was ever asked to preach as a guest preacher somewhere uh, was right after Zach graduated from high school, uh, and he started as the youth intern here uh, at Enum Baptist Church. He asked me to come and speak for an event uh, that they were doing, and uh, I didn't preach much at that point, and I was like, well, sure. So I came. I have no idea what I talked about. It may not have been any good at all. I only remember this. When it was over, Zach walked up to me, and here's what he said. Uh, he said, hey, man, uh, I'm so grateful. I'm so glad that you came. I'm really thankful you did this. We don't have much budget for stuff like this, but I got you something. And he reaches in a Walmart sack, and he pulls out a brand-new buck knife still in the package. <laughs> and with all the pride that he can muster, he hands me this buck knife <laughs> as, my, as my honorarium for one of my first-ever speaking, uh, speaking gigs. So uh, it just feels like home. Uh, so, Zach, I still have that buck knife. Uh, I use it now to cut tape on cardboard boxes. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, man, I, I am grateful tonight to get to be here. And I really do feel like the, the Lord just gave me some, uh, a word to share with you guys, uh, something that the Lord gave me uh, many, many months ago uh, for, for the church. Uh, and, man, I, that's my greatest uh, love, aside from my uh, wife and my five kiddos and my family. Uh, I just love the church. I love the bride of Christ. And, uh, and tonight I, I want to share with you a word about the church, but I want to start with a story. Uh, it's a story I heard recently about a, uh, a young couple who uh, got married and went on their honeymoon and you know, just had this incredible, incredible week. And on the way home from their honeymoon, they were driving back, and, and unfortunately, an 18-wheeler pulled out uh, in front of them, uh, and the groom swerved to avoid it, and, and the 18-wheeler crashed into the side uh, that his bride was on, uh, and the car's all torn up, and and he goes and he finds his bride, and, you know, she's just like, you know, she's, she's unconscious. There's blood everywhere. It's just this, you know, he, he's just distraught in this moment. And he cries out to God, and he says, oh, God, you know, please. And he, he looks up, and he realizes that, that in, in God's sovereignty, uh, he is in front of a house, a little old house on this country road, with a sign on the front uh, that says, the office of Dr. Jones, internal medicine. Uh, and he goes, man, this, this is it. And so he picks up his bride, and he, he goes up to the door, and he bangs on the door, bangs on the door. It's the middle of the night, and finally this, this old man comes to the door, and he opens the door, and he says, sir, are you Dr. Jones? Are you Dr. Jones? And he says, well, well yes, yes, I am. Uh, he said, please help me. My wife, my wife is bleeding. She's dying, sir. Please help me. And this little old doctor looked back at him uh, with surprise in his eyes, and he, he said, I'm, I'm sorry, son. I, I can't help you. I stopped practicing medicine a long time ago. I don't have any equipment here. I don't have any medical supplies. I just I stopped practicing medicine years ago. And overwhelmed with frustration and grief, this young groom looked back at that doctor and he said, Dr. Jones, if you can no longer help hurting people, then take down that sign. Take down that sign. And sadly, that is the picture of so many churches across America today. You pull up in the parking lot, 
And the church says, the sign outside says church. But then when you get on the inside, there's no life there. When you get on the inside, there should be the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. There should be the, the healing power of Jesus. There should be the word of God being taught. But instead, it's just lifeless and empty. And I love the fact that tonight and over these days, you as a church family are coming together and saying, we want to come together as a body and we want to do everything that we can to not become a dead, lifeless church. We're not calling this Revival Week just because that's what we used to do and that's a good word for it. We are calling this Revival Week because we are here tonight to have God revive the church, to God put, God put life back inside of the body of Christ. And so tonight, I want to take a few moments and I want to share with you from the book of Acts, uh, and I want, to, I want us to see a picture of a revived church, a revived church. And we see that all throughout the book of Acts, but in particular, I want us to see it tonight in Acts chapter 6. If you got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 6. We're going to look just at eight verses together, and we're going to see some markers of a revived church and the type of church that, that God can use to literally bring life to the hurting, bring life to the broken, bring life to those who are longing and crying out to God for help, who are just looking for somewhere that they can find life. And that's the type of church that God wants to build. And I believe with all of my heart that that's the type of church that you want here at Enon. I believe with all my heart that, that, that the people of Enon Baptist Church want a church where God dwells, a church that's revived and that's alive and that is life-giving to the community and God in his grace and his mercy has given us that in the scripture. So let's read this together. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And we're going to pick back up there in just a moment. But here's what I want us to see tonight. Just several things about a revived church and the type of church that God longs to, to dwell in. Now, for starters, I'm going to give you some good news, all right? I'm going to give you some encouraging news that I hope is encouraging to everyone in the house. And it may be surprising to see the first thing that God shows us about a revived church. Are you ready for it? I don't think you're ready for it. Are you ready for it? All right, like two of you are. Okay, are you ready for it? All right, here we go. A revived church is not a perfect church. A revived church is not a perfect church. I mean, look, look how this passage starts. In those days when the disciples were increasing in number, they started complaining. <laughs> I mean, this is the moment where God's moving. Like, you look, you read through the book of Acts, and it's like thousands saved here, thousands saved here, like, you know, sparkles, and like, you know, everything's just blowing up, and everything's great, and all of a sudden, like, you look, and all of a sudden, there's a big major fight. It's a reminder to us tonight that a revived church is not a perfect church. You know why? Because you know what a church is made up of? People. People. And there ain't a perfect person in this room. There ain't ever been but one on this earth, and his name was Jesus. And a revived church is, is a group of, of people. And not only is it people, but a church, a church is family. Uh, and y'all know, families are going to fight every now and then. Uh, my, my mom's here tonight, and one of my, one of my two brothers, and I was going to say tonight that Y'all, she could probably tell stories, but I look around tonight, some of y'all could tell stories. <laughs> some of y'all might run us out of this room because y'all know our last name. <laughs> but here's the reality. God 
is not going to overlook a church just because there are problems. A revived church is not a perfect church, and church problems are just going to happen. In fact, I would even say that anytime a church is growing, there's going to be problems. The church in Jerusalem in this moment was growing. The church had gone from from 3,000 at Pentecost up to now at this point. Most people think in Acts chapter 6, there is now a church of 20,000 people. And they are struggling to figure out what to do. And there are, there are problems. There's complexity that comes with it. And all of a sudden, there's, there's some backbiting. All of a sudden, there's some people that are going, hey, this is not fair because our folks aren't getting food. And those folks are getting food. And we want the food. And, and so now, in this moment, they have to figure out what are they going to do when the problems arise. And unfortunately today, I would just say that most of the time when problems arise in a church, churches that I've been a part of, when problems arise in a church, people get disenchanted with the church. And a lot of times, they just walk away. But that's not what we see here in this passage. In this passage, we see a group of people who look to the Lord and they lean into a solution. In this moment, they had a couple of options. They could have just chosen to ignore it. They could have just said, you know what, just let it deal with itself. But let me just remind us that problems left undealt with usually just get worse. They usually just grow. And these folks knew that they couldn't let that happen. This was too important a moment. Reminder, what's happening in Acts at this point? What's going on in the story of Acts? What did Jesus say in Acts 1.8? He said, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and what? In Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying the gospel is going to go forth not just from the Jews, but to all people. And what's happening right here is you have division among people groups. And so they realize this is a major moment for the gospel to move forward, and they cannot ignore it. They must seek the Lord. They must deal with it. And they knew that in this moment, they couldn't just, like, outsource it. You know, like, there was no Jerusalem DoorDash for them to call. Like, you know, like, they're not just going to figure it out. Like, they, they had to lean into the Lord and say, Lord, what do you, you want to do? The apostles also knew, though, that they could not stop their work just to serve the tables. Look what it says about in verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to the ministry of prayer and the word. Verse 3, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They knew in this moment that they had to focus themselves on the priority of the mission. And that's the second thing that we see tonight about a revived church. A revived church is not a perfect church, but also a revived church is focused on the mission above all. A revived church is focused on the mission above all. They said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God because we can't just serve tables. We have to make sure that the gospel goes forth. They weren't just concerned in this moment with trying to keep the church people happy. And oftentimes, In a church setting, it kind of comes to the point where where we start thinking that we have to to make sure that we meet the needs of our people. And if we don't meet the needs of our people, then they're going to leave. And we have to make sure we do all these specific things. And we have to have all these different components so that these people are, are cared for. And yes, that is a part of the body of Christ. For us to care and minister and equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to disciple and care for God's people. But we must realize that the whole purpose of it is to get the gospel out to the ends of the earth. The church can't just become us four and no more and a mentality of we just, we're just here as a country club. No. They knew that the mission Jesus had given them was to get the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And they knew that they had to keep their focus on the mission. That's what a revived 
church does. A revived church is always thinking about the people who aren't here yet. They are always thinking about getting the mission of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ out to the world. They also knew that for that to happen, it was going to take everybody doing their part. Everybody doing their part. So, so third thing, we'll move quickly through some of these. Third thing that we see about a revived church is a, remi- a revived church is made up of empowered disciples. Empowered disciples. Uh, and I, I, I love this section of this. Let's start back in verse 3, and we're going to keep moving on down uh, through, through verse 6. Look what it says. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumbaa, and, uh, sorry, my brain goes there. I have five kids, uh, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And then they set them before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. I love this passage because here's, here's, what, it, here's what it shows us, okay? In this moment, they knew the mission had to go forward. They knew that as the apostles, they could not be the ones to both continue to preach the word and serve the tables. So they're stuck. They're in a problem. And they go, hey, what, what, do, what do we have to do? Both of these needs have to be met. The widows have to be cared for. The gospel has to be preached. But the reality is that if they just proclaim the gospel in word, but it doesn't go forth in power and actually impact and change people's lives, then it's not really the gospel, is it? They realized that both of those things had to be true. But here's what I love about this is they said, hey, pick out from among you. Pick out from among you. And here, here's the, the cool thing that we kind of miss in this is that when you read those names, those names mean nothing to us. Like we read them and like, you know, we, everybody in here is from Alabama, okay? Uh, like we read them and we're like, ain't nobody going to name their kid that here. You know, so like it, they're just not names that we would normally use. But here's the reality. For a first century Jew reading this, they were also uncommon names. You know why? Because they were Greek names. They were Greek names. So in this moment, here's what, here's what you have. You have the Greeks saying, our widows are not being cared for. And so the disciples look back at the Greek men among them, and they say, you feed them. And that's not a, we're washing our hands of you. That's not a, hey, you fix your own problem. No, notice what they said. Pick out men from among you who are filled with who? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the reality here, is these men, these apostles who had walked with Jesus, who are now filled with the Holy Spirit, they look at these Greek men and they say, hey, you already have everything you need inside of you to complete this ministry. Do you know why? Because you have the same Holy Spirit we do. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. That's why I say a revived church is made up of empowered disciples, men and women who are filled up with the Spirit of God. The disciples look at these men and they say, hey, you know what? You look at us as though we have something you don't. But they look at these men and they say, hey, you know what? When you came to Christ, when you received Jesus, you didn't receive a JV Holy Spirit. You didn't receive a Holy Spirit that's lesser than the one we got. 
You received the same Holy Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and now he's in you. So any need that pops up in the body can be met, not because of who you are, but because of the Holy Spirit inside of you and who he is. And so tonight, I want to just say to you as a church that what Jesus Christ wants for Enon Baptist Church is for you to be filled with the Spirit and then operate in the gifts that he has given you. He wants for you to be filled up with the Spirit of God and then to walk in the gifts that he has given you, to walk in the supernatural abilities that he has given you, and to carry forth the ministry that will take the gospel forward into this community, into this state, and into the nations. He wants you to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And can I just say to us tonight that a church that changes the world is not a church that relies on a few spiritual superstars. It's a church where the Spirit of God fills every believer. Uh, and I, I, I want to brag on your pastor for a minute. Uh, and I just want to say I, I love Zacharino. Uh, <laughs> there, there are a few people who God has used to encourage me in my life, uh, like Zach. Uh, there have been there have been a few moments where, uh, where the entire course of my ministry and my life was changed because of a word that Zach spoke to me that nobody else ever knew about. Uh, and Zach, is, he is a gifted, uh, he's a gifted preacher. Uh, he is an anointed evangelist, a phenomenal shepherd. And he works as hard for the kingdom of God as anybody I know. But I will just tell you, this church does not rest on Zach. This church does not rest on the work of Zacharino. And it doesn't all fall on his shoulders. That's not God's design. God's design is for him to fulfill his role as the pastor of this church and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that the body would be built up and so that every single person would grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's call on Zach's life is to be the leader and the pastor and the overseer of this flock and to shepherd your souls so that all of you grow up into the ministry that God has for you. Every single person is to be filled up with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. And when that happens, when that happens, this church will be so filled with life that the community will drive by and will just say, I got to have some of what's going on in there. I got to have some of what's happening there because I just see life flowing out of that place. Why? Not because of one superstar. Not because of one person who has some special gift or anointing. No, because the Holy Spirit of God has empowered all of his people. That's what a revived church looks like. So the most important question for us then is how do we get there? If that's God's design, if God wants every single person in this room, every person who's a blood-bought follower of Jesus Christ to walk in the power of the Spirit, then how do we get there? Well, that leads us to... The last thing that we see about a revived church, uh, and that's this, that a revived church is devoted to prayer and the word. A revived church is devoted to prayer and the word. Notice hidden in here in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, what do the disciples say? They say, you know what? We know the word of God has to go forth. We know the tables have to be served. We know needs need to be met. We know that there are specific needs that need to happen. But we will devote ourselves to what? We will devote ourselves to prayer. Come on now, you can say it louder than that. We will devote ourselves to prayer. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 
The apostles knew that God wanted to do a whole lot more than just fill people's bellies. He wanted to show up in power. He wanted to show up and he wanted to fill up his people with the spirit of God so that they might serve others and, yes, meet their needs, but so that the power of God might show up and they might see the supernatural in their midst. They might see Jesus show up and do things that are unexplainable in human terms. But the only way they would ever see that is if they were connected to God through prayer. Prayer becomes the pathway for the power of God in our lives. Prayer becomes the pathway. You know why? Because prayer, very simply, is just inviting God's presence in. Prayer, very simply, is just saying, Jesus, we don't have the answers, but we know you do, so come, please show up. It's coming and inviting. It's saying, God, we want to, it's not, prayer is not us trying to get ourselves up into heaven. Prayer is us saying, God, would you come down to earth? It's the reason it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's saying, Jesus, please come and invade my circumstances. And the only way that we are ever going to experience the power of God in our church and the power of God in our individual lives is if we devote ourselves to the ministry of prayer and the word. Many of you probably know this, but but Acts, the book we're looking at tonight, uh, is a sequel. Do you know that? Uh, Acts is part two of one story. Uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts are both written by the same person. Uh, So it's part one, part two of the same story. And when you read it that way, you see that there are some themes that connect the two. And one of those is the central role that prayer plays in the church. The central role that prayer plays in the life of the people of God. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, there's 24 chapters. 22 times in 24 chapters, Luke talks about prayer. Six times in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus uh, saying, it says that Jesus went alone to pray. He would go out often, it says, to desolate places to pray and to spend time with the Father. The night before he chose his disciples, you know what he did? He stayed up all night in prayer. You know what Jesus said his house was supposed to be? A house of what? A house of prayer. 22 times in the Gospel of Luke, in those 24 chapters, you see prayer showing up, being central. You know how many times it shows up in Acts? 22. 22 22 times in the 28 chapters of Acts, you see prayer being central to the people of God and the way that they were connected to him. And you know what happened every single time the people of God prayed in the book of Acts? God showed up. God showed up. I mean, think of it with me. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is gone. They have no idea what to do. What did Jesus tell them to do? He told them to wait. That was, his, that was his big commandment. You know, we talk about the, the Great Commission and the, the commandment that he gave. Yes, it was going to all the nations, but before that it was, hey, just wait. Just wait. And what did they do while they waited? They prayed. They prayed, and for 10 days they prayed, and they cried out to God, and they got on their faces before him, and they said, God, we need you. If you don't show up, we're sunk. If you don't show up, we don't know what to do. If you don't show up, we're in trouble. And after 10 days, what happened? A rushing wind came through, and Pentecost came. And the Holy Spirit invaded the church. And then it says in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to spending time together in the presence of God. Acts chapter 4, they find themselves in a struggle and in a moment of confusion. And what do they do? They call out to God and the literal ground beneath them shakes. And the power of God shows up and the Spirit falls on the people of God. Why? Because they prayed. Acts chapter 6, we're looking at it tonight. They got confused, and what did they do? They prayed. Acts chapter 13, they reach a moment where they realize that the gospel needs to go beyond where it currently is. They don't know how to get it there, so what do they do? They stop and they fast and they pray. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. 
What do they do in the middle of the night? They worship and they pray. And what happens? The Holy Spirit of God shows up. There's an earthquake, breaks the chains off, and the walls come down. And they end up walking out of that prison. And even the prison guard gets saved and his whole family is baptized. Why? Because the people of God prayed. They invited the power of God into their own lives. And tonight, I just I want to just say to us, and this is for Enon Baptist Church. This is for the Summit Church. This is for every single church uh, that I know of in America. And I can say this with no hesitation. God has more than what we're experiencing. He just does. If he doesn't, then he's not God. He has more than what we're experiencing. And I think most of the time, the reason we're not experiencing it is because we're not willing to pray. What if... What if the early disciples had stopped praying on day nine before Pentecost? What if they gave up? What if they just said, I, I guess he ain't coming. I guess it's not worth it. What would have happened? You see, God, his eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for those whose heart is fully his. Longing to give full support, the scripture says, to the work of their hands. The Spirit of God is looking throughout the earth for people who are hungry for him. And he longs to pour out his presence on his people. But he is looking for a people who will cry out to him in prayer. He's looking for a people who will devote themselves to the ministry of the prayer and the word. And when that happens, when a church is willing to do that, when a church is willing to, to bear down in prayer and to call out to God, we see verses 7 and verse 8, the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. When the people of God pray, God shows up, and he does miracles. You know, you know why it says that the priests became obedient to the faith. Because when you read Luke and Acts, his one story, you know, one of, the, one of the last times you see Luke talk about the priests before that is the ones who condemned Jesus to death to crucify him. The very ones who had crucified him are now turning to faith in him. Why? Because the people of God are calling out to the Heavenly Father and asking Him to come and move in their midst. The people of God are, are serving with the gifts that He has given them. The people of God are, are asking God to come and fill up their lives with His power, and they're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when they do, you see miraculous things happen. And not just through the hands of the apostles. You see it happen through the hands of the servants here in this passage. And all of the people are now seeing God move in their midst. Why? Because they were a people who cried out to God in prayer. They cried out to God. They devoted themselves to prayer and the word. I love the way that uh, a pastor named Daniel Henderson um, said this. Uh, in Acts 6.3, it shows a picture of people full of the spirit and of wisdom. It says, find people who are full of the spirit and of wisdom. Disciples who are willing to follow Jesus. Acts 6, 4, you see leaders who devote themselves and devote and lead the church to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Uh, and Daniel Henderson said this, 
When a church has Acts 6-3 disciples led by Acts 6-4 leaders, we will see an Acts 6-7 awakening. When a church has Acts 6-3 disciples led by Acts 6-4 leaders, we will see an Acts 6-7 awakening. I'm not great with math. I'm from Alabama. But three plus four is seven. And what he's saying there is, hey, if we will do the things that God's called us to do as the people of God, if we'll devote ourselves to the things he's called us to do, then we will see God show up in the way that he has already proven he could show up. See, this is a picture of a revived church, but can I just tell you that this is not just something that happened back then, but it's something that can happen right now. It's something that God desires to do today, something that God is doing today. There are churches all around the world, all across our nation, that are experiencing Book of Acts-type revivals. And when you begin to talk to people in those churches and you say, what's going on in that church? Why is God moving? How did you get there? Every single time you are going to see people who are getting on their face before God and praying. You're going to see a people who are getting on their face before God and saying, God, would you please just come? Lord, we just need your power. We are desperate for you. This is the reason uh, that uh, from day one when Zach got here, one of the very first things he started was a Thursday morning prayer time. Uh, and that wasn't just because Zach's an early person and just likes getting up early. It's because he knew the pathway to the power of God is the prayer of God's people. It's the reason you guys have a monthly prayer time. It's the reason that you're not just doing revival services at night. You're doing noonday prayer. Why? Because prayer is the pathway to the presence and the power of God in our church. And tonight, again, I believe with all my heart, the Lord wants to move in the days ahead at Enon. And he wants you to be a church that keeps the mission above all. He wants you to be a church that's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and that every single one of you are using the gifts that God has given you. But that will never happen if you're not a church that gets down on your face before God in prayer and calls out and says, Lord, we just need you. Lord, we just need you. Uh, so tonight, uh, that's how we're going to close. Uh, we're going to devote ourselves to the ministry of prayer and the word. Uh, we're going to devote ourselves tonight to a time of just getting into the presence of God. So I want to invite you, if you would, just bow with me. And, you know, I love that tonight Zach started us with the Lord's Prayer. Um, and right before the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, before Jesus gives us instructions on what to pray, he tells us how we get there. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues, on the street corners, that they'll be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And tonight... Uh, I want to just invite you to, uh, in your mind, just go into the inner room. Forget about all the people that are around you. Forget about the 
the things of this world, the things you're worried about, the distractions you carried into this place. Forget about even the intimidation of prayer. I know for some of you, prayer is an intimidating thing. I just want you to, to hear the words of Jesus who says, hey, just, just come into the inner room. Your, your father's waiting on you there. Your father's waiting on you there and he, he just wants you to talk to him. He just wants to meet with you. He wants to hear from you. And he also wants tonight to speak some things to you. So I want to invite you to just enter in tonight to the throne room of God and start out by just talking to the Father. Just as we did earlier, our Father who art in heaven, just, just praise Him for who He is. And then call out to Him tonight. Just say, Lord, give me your daily bread. Here are the needs that I have. I want to invite you to just get in whatever posture of prayer um, the Lord leads you to. Uh, Zach's going to come in just a moment. He's going to lead us through a time of prayer. I want to invite you just go into the inner room tonight. If you need to kneel at your seat, if you need to find a spot along the wall somewhere, if you need to kneel here at this altar, whatever posture you need to get in tonight to just really bear down in prayer, just go into the inner room. Go into the inner room. Look at the Father and just talk to Him.